At the seminary where I teach preaching, we always encourage our students to conclude their sermons on notes of grace, hope, and joy. Let's end our preaching with the gospel, with the proclamation of good news. It really is a wonderful way to preach. Jesus, however, did not exactly follow this. In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ended with what at first looks like an ever-dimming picture. Well, today on Groundwork, we'll see how this famous sermon concludes. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is the final program of our six-part series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We already covered the Beatitudes, words in our being salt and light, how Jesus taught God's law, his teaching on prayer, his well-known words about not worrying. And now we're still in chapter 7 where the sermon concludes. Matthew chapter 7, it starts at verse 13. And Jesus is saying, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So there's a sense, Daryl, that here's a passage that seems to be loaded with the kind of bad news and foreboding. This is the kind of stuff you might, if you're in Chicago or something, this is the stuff you might hear from a street preacher on a city corner. You know, he's got a five-gallon plastic bucket there, and he's got it upside down, and he's standing up on there with a little miniature microphone, you know, screaming at people about the broad way that leads to destruction, the road to perdition, and so forth. So... The question, I guess, uh, as the Sermon on the Mount uh, is in its final chapter here in Matthew 7, is there any good news here, or is this just a stark and dark warning? Well, let's first things first, Scott. He says, enter through the narrow gate. And what we need to know about entering is that entering, we, we know that we live in a, a walk with God that is grace-filled right. and salvation, it comes from God. So it's not about, oh, I got up today and decided to enter the narrow gate. Right. No, it's actually you're responding to God's grace in your life that you would think that you want to enter the gate. That idea came from God. So God must have been working in the background to get us to decide whether we need to enter the narrow gate or stay over in the wide one. So I think the first thing is we need to understand that God initiates the prompt to enter and we respond respond to that prompt by actually entering. Exactly. Like you said, you know, you don't get out of bed in the morning, uh, <laughs> put narrow gate into your GPS and then say, well, I'm going to find the narrow gate on my own, you know, and uh, recalculating. Um, no, uh, you, you don't find it on your own. You find it by grace. Uh, as you just said, we are saved by grace, not works. Uh, we're saved by Jesus' complete sacrifice on the cross, not because we made the right choices and the right turns as we navigate through life. We'll never find the narrow gate on our own. But if we do find it, it's because we've been called, right? It's the same way Jesus called the disciples. Follow me, Jesus said. You reminded us of this, Scott, I think earlier when you said, hey, Jesus is not talking to everyone. He turns away from the crowd and talks to the disciples. So exactly. literally the people are within an earshot of him teaching the disciples this Sermon on the Mount series. So he's really trying to help them to go deeper with their walk with God. 
Yep, the audience is important. And we said that already in the first episode. If you realize that Jesus is talking to people he's already called by grace, then you realize like the Beatitudes are not entrance requirements. Right. It's like, okay, I got to make myself poor in spirit, and then I got to get meek, and then I got a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And once I get all my own act together, then God's going to bring me. No, you've been brought into the kingdom by grace as the disciples were. And so the Beatitudes are how you live after you've been brought into yes. the kingdom. It's after Jesus brings you to the narrow gate that you can then enter it by grace alone. So you're saying that this is discipleship teaching and not evangelism teaching. Exactly. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus, when he was washing the feet of the disciples, Peter says, you're not going to wash me. He says, if I don't wash you, then you won't be have any part of me. And he says, well, wash my feet, hands and head as well. And he says, no, 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 no. You've already been cleaned. All we need to do is wash your feet. And this teaching is definitely a foot washing for those who have already been made clean by Christ, already been made clean as being forgiven of their sins and being children of God. This is a foot washing teaching. Exactly. However, back to the street preachers to give them a little bit of uh, a little bit of credit. This is still something that we need to pay sober attention to, because I do think it implies several things, Daryl, and that is that the narrow gate that leads to life is not going to be the popular gate. Right. In any society in history, this is the proverbial road less traveled. The broad road is going to look better. It's going to make bigger promises. It's going to be easier. In fact, Daryl, it's quite possible that. What Jesus here calls the wide gate and the broad way is how a lot of people today and in history might define the good life. The good life. It sounds a lot like the American dream. Right. Um, things that we think, oh, to be rich, to be famous, to be loved by everybody, to be remembered, to be honored and get these awards and accolades. That is the wide way because it actually distracts the heart, chokes out the spirit and moves us away from God as opposed to moving us towards God. It doesn't mean that people who go through the narrow gate won't have anything, but it means that their heart, like we said in the last episode, the money. Money is not their master. The greed is not their master. Right. The intention is to please God and delight ourselves in him. So that is really the challenge that is happening at the wide and narrow gates. And I also think another thing this tells us, Daryl, is that it's not only that it's grace that brings us to the narrow gate. It's grace that makes the narrow gate look attractive to us. Ah, yeah. In a way, it doesn't. It's because grace doesn't just save us. It transforms us, right? It's sort of like your taste, uh, your sensibility, your worldview, what you judge to be attractive and not attractive. It's all been transformed by grace. We see beauty in places that other people see ugliness or just something boring or commonplace. So. You get to the gate by grace, but it looks good to you once you get there, also by grace, because grace changes you. So you just mentioned that transforming, and I love that because God does invite us to a transformative life. And literally, where our taste buds and appetites are being changed by the Spirit who is sanctifying us. So now, even death can look beautiful. Even mm -hmm. sickness can be not the end. Even sadness can be temporary because we serve a God who has overcome all of those things. As we walk through the narrow gate, He is giving us a new heart, a new life, and and Romans 12 says we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. He's given us his very mind. So that's part of the transformation that happens when we walk through. Exactly. We, we see the image of God deep inside people 
the rest of the world dismisses as losers or sad, unsuccess stories. Nope. Our very vision, be thou my vision, right? That, that, yes. that hymn says, right? Our very vision has been changed. And so now the narrow way looks uh, attractive. But what about the people around us who are on that Broadway, who are living a comfy life and taking all their pleasures in money and in temporary pleasures? We have to witness to them that it is true, and we have to pray that the eyes of their heart will be open too, so they can recognize the narrow gate as being as attractive as we now see it, because it leads to no less than the glories of God's kingdom. But of course, people are on those, uh, that Broadway, Daryl, because there are lots of different messages being proclaimed as to what is the good life, and there are lots of false prophets in this world who proclaim those false messages, and Jesus has a word to say about that too, so stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we're in Matthew 7, the final chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, and let's get right back into it, Daryl. In verse 15, Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, Jesus does make it clear. He's warning the disciples and everybody who reads this passage that there are false prophets. One of my favorite songs says, will the real Jesus stand up? Mm. Wait, there's eight of them, nine of them, a whole line of them. There's all kinds of them because there are so many people who will claim his righteousness, his deity, his even his name, and they're leading people astray. And that has not been a new idea. It has been going on for centuries. Yeah, it's a perennial challenge to recognize who is the real Jesus or who is really with Jesus and who is not. And, you know, it's interesting, Daryl. I mean, here, Jesus isn't warning us against what we might say today are complete atheists or people who are totally proclaiming a completely different religious faith. This is intramural. (laughs) This is in-house here. These are people who are going to be doing things in Jesus' name. But Jesus says that isn't enough. That's not enough for you to tell the the sheep from the wolf, (laughs) the fake from the real deal. Um, So that makes it even more challenging. 
so the whole analogy of wolf in sheep's clothing, it makes it even more confusing and difficult to try to identify them because the ones who are really following Jesus are saying this and right. the people who are pretending to follow Jesus are saying the same thing. And so we need to be able to have a discernment tool. And Jesus makes it clear that we will know them by their fruits. We will recognize them by their fruits because good trees can't bear bad fruit. So now we got to be fruit inspectors, Scott. Yeah. Well, and- and we said in the previous episode, when Jesus says, judge not, and some people use that as being, oh, Christians may never judge. And we said, no, that's not true. <laughs> Just judge rightly and carefully and hu- with humility. Jesus is clearly calling us to judge. He's clearly calling us to discern who is the good tree, who's the bad tree, right? And it's, as you just said, Daryl, it's all a matter of fruit. In that sense, it's common sense, right? You don't go to thorns and thistles to get cherries and figs, right? But there are trees that produce fruit, but it's bad. And a bad tree, Jesus says, produces bad fruit. Jesus doesn't get real specific here, though, Daryl. We could maybe wish he had gotten more specific what kind of fruit, but maybe we could make some educated guesses. Well, the good news is we have the full counsel of God's word. Now, these people, they're standing there on the mountainside. They didn't have the New Testament epistles we have. They didn't have the gospels in written form like we have. So we can see the fruit from personally Jesus's life. I mean, he's showing love. He's showing forgiveness. He's showing grace. That's our example, right? And we also find out that in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These fruit are good fruit. So we need to be embodying those and allowing the spirit to bring those out of us so that we could actually be the ones that God is calling us to be. Exactly. And I think you're right, Daryl. When we ask the question, okay, what's good fruit, Jesus? What, could you tell us, right? Could we get a footnote here or something? Right? It's what we saw in Jesus. We've said all along in this series, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of go. the kingdom. He is Mr. Beatitude. He is, you know, the perfect fulfillment of the law. And so in Jesus, we see the thing, kindness, patience, goodness, a willingness to forgive, gentleness. Those are the things that if you see that, growing on someone's life, they're probably the real deal. And, you know, it it reminds me, um, Daryl, that somebody once said to me, or maybe it was in a book I read, if you know religious leaders, pastors, evangelists, maybe even TV preachers and the the like, if you want to sort of see if they're the real deal, watch how they act when they're not in the pulpit, right? Watch how they act in restaurants. How are they toward servers? How are they on airplanes toward flight attendants? How are they toward the person bagging their groceries at the A&P, right? How do they treat people? Good trees treat people with the fruit of the Spirit all the time. Bad trees uh, treat other people with contempt. And it's interesting is that God is always looking at the fruit in our lives, and he doesn't wait until the cameras are on to Mm -hmm. do that. He does it when the cameras are off. He does it at two in the morning when no one is watching. And so we can actually discern what type of character a person is because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. And what you say and what you do, Jesus is talking about heart and motive all the time, and especially in these teachings. And so we need to see 
from these passages that if there are people who we consider beneath us, we need to be careful how we yeah. treat them because that is bad fruit when we treat them with contempt because we think they're lower than we are. Oh, the little people around me, right? Anybody who refers to the little people uh, probably aren't in touch with the good fruit Jesus is talking about. <laughs> there was a news story a while back. Uh, there was a well-known TV preacher there were plenty of reasons to think his theology was shaky already, but his wife had been on an airplane and she treated the flight attendants horribly, just with contempt and with arrogance. And people noticed and said, that doesn't look like Jesus. That doesn't look like a good tree bearing good fruit. And indeed, uh, I think that is, that is a, a pretty good test. And again, it's not because we're earning our way to heaven by being nice and kind. No, no, no. These are the fruit, not the root. The root is grace. The fruit, the fruit grows on the tree rooted in grace. When somebody proclaims a different gospel other than grace alone, as Paul said to the Galatians, don't believe them. People say, hey, you know, don't worry about sin. God forgives you anyway. As Paul wrote to the Romans, that's not the gospel. Don't believe them, right? We can look at their behavior as the fruit, but also, as you said, Daryl, we got the Bible. We, we can bring people next to the gospel and see if they're lining up. And when we undertake that task of discernment and we judge, we just need to be careful right. and we need to be humble and we need to allow ourselves to be at a place where we could do that with humility. And when we're living epistles that way, we actually can preach the gospel in our actions and what we do, and we will bear the fruit. And we bear it by God helping us to bear it in, in the first place. And we need a strong foundation to stand on to do that. And as we wrap up this episode, we are gonna talk about that because that's where Jesus goes next. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And we are now in the final segment of the final episode of this six-part series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. So, Daryl, let's get right back into it. And here are the concluding words of Matthew 7, beginning at verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And that's it. Uh, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we said at the outset of the program, uh, Daryl, it seems like Jesus didn't get the memo about concluding sermons on an upbeat note, because after three blockbuster chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, the final words are, great crash. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> but he does quite literally end the sermon with a bang. 
So, yeah, it's really crazy how we've heard these stories so many times and we can sometimes glaze over because we've heard them so many times. Mm. When I taught scripture, I always taught or preached it as if it was the first time ever because I wanted a fresh take on that. But what Jesus is making clear is that foundations matter and foundations are very important. Growing up in Ada, Michigan, Daryl, I saw uh, we were in the township hall one day, me and my dad, and I saw a cartoon on the door of the Ada Township Building Inspector. Uh, and the cartoon showed what was supposed to be the construction site for the Tower of Pisa in Italy, uh, which we all know, of course, as the leaning yeah. Tower of Pisa. But anyway, in the cartoon, of course, the tower is standing straight up as they're building it. But the construction foreman uh, is whispering to the architect in the cartoon. And he said, you know, I saved a little money on the foundation, but don't worry. Nobody will ever know. Right? <laughs> well, now we know the building is leaning and could fall over. Foundations are pretty important. That's true. That's true. And, and you know that the highest skyscrapers always have a deep, deep foundation. And even before buildings, there were trees that have deep, deep roots. And, and even though the strongest tornadoes come through, those trees are not blown over because they have a deep root structure and a deep foundation. But you also know that when you build skyscrapers like the one in 9-11, the Memorial Tower has had deep, deep roots of foundation way, way down underground where nobody can see it. The foundation works deep down where nobody can see it, but it holds up everything that it supports. Yeah. And in fact, if you go, you can now see it uh, before the destruction of the yeah. towers from the airplanes flying into them. You couldn't see it. But now the museum is below um, the ground and you ride a very long escalator down, down, down to the bedrock of Manhattan Island. And the foundations of the Twin Towers are all the way down there, sunk into the bedrock. Foundations are important. And in this case, what are the foundations, Daryl? Jesus' words, Jesus' teachings, everything you ever saw in Jesus, everything you ever heard from Jesus. It's beautiful because Jesus starts this passage by saying, you know all those words you just heard? If you put them into practice, then you'll be wise. If you don't put them into practice, you're going to be foolish. And the same storms, the same streams, the same wind come to both situations. But if you put those words into practice, that's the foundation. Jesus' teachings, Jesus' words, Jesus' model, his example, if we put them into practice, we're wise. And, and I used to watch G.I. Joe as a kid, and at the end, they'd have this moral, and the kid would say, well, nah, I know. And they would say, knowing is half the battle, but they never told us the other half. Mm-hmm. Knowing is one half, but putting it into practice is the second half. Exactly. And that's what's interesting here, and we miss this sometimes. It's not that the foolish builders didn't have access to the right, right stuff, right? They had access to the exact same if you want to say building materials, materials as the wise, they just didn't use them, right? They treated Jesus as a reference point, as, you know, uh, an older authority figure maybe, but, you know, you have to be a fanatic right. uh, and actually do everything Jesus said. Okay, Jesus said you can live that way, but when the storms come, great crash, <laughs> last two words of the sermon, which is really, really interesting. And again, it's not because we're saved by what we do. We've been emphasizing that throughout this whole series. We're only saved by grace. But once you are saved by grace and brought into the kingdom, then Christ-likeness is part of the deal. And I think it's interesting to talk about the fool here because we talked about 
when Jesus says you fool in the sermon teaching, this isn't the same kind of fool. Right. When Jesus was talking about when you call somebody a fool, you are humiliating your murder and their character. But this person is foolish in this passage because they look at what's right to do and choose the wrong way anyway. And that is a foolish decision that has consequences to it. And the foolish do not apply the words or put them into practice to have that foundation when trials come. That's what makes them foolish. And I don't know, maybe maybe Jesus is saying that the fools might still get saved in the end anyway, but don't take that chance. I mean, if you get it, right, if you're called into the kingdom uh, and you have access to everything Jesus has taught, including everything just in this sermon, which is a lot. Uh, Of course, Jesus teaches many other things uh, in the course of the Gospels. But, you know, we have what we need for flourishing. And that's what God wants, Gerald. He wants us to live lives of delight and flourishing. Jesus modeled that for us. He is the embodiment of the kingdom. Uh, Why would we not look to him and want to be like him and build on this terrific, indestructible foundation? And it's a beautiful foundation because the foundation is not built on our own righteousness. It's not built on our own merits. We actually have gratitude to God for the reason that he has done and the way he has helped us to live, showing us this way. And we give gratitude to God because he is the one who embodies the kingdom. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Please join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com, to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.